Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and today I have everyone's favorite, once again. I don't even know why I intro you anymore. Everyone just knows you're going to be on it, but it is Ryan Pryor. Everybody's voting for Jack, because he's got what all the rest lack. Jack is on the right track. I was just trying to continue the intro music. Oh, I thought what you were going to do was insert your name into that. And then I was like, let's not do that. But you didn't. No, I didn't. Why would I do that? I don't know. I just thought that's where you were I want my own song. And I wouldn't have had Frank Sinatra write it. I would have had Dean Martin write it. Well, he was buddies with Frank Sinatra, so it made sense. Yeah, well, he should have been buddies with Dean Martin. Who's to say he wasn't? That's true. (laughs) Dean. Next episode. I'm a big fan of Dean Martin, as you might be aware. I know you are. I like Dean Martin, too. I love Dean. What's your favorite song? I'll insert oh. a clip. Uh, I, what's my favorite Dean Martin song, Caroline? My Rifle, My Pony, and Me. It's from uh, Rio Grande, uh, Rio Bravo. Here um, it is, fam. Sweetheart, darling. Sweetheart, darling. Just my rifle, pony, and me. Just my rifle, my pony, and me. All right, that was great. Whippoorwill in the canyon. Anyway. We already played it. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite Dean Martin song. So um, as everyone knows, too, it's tradition for Ryan and I to have a drink together. And I just had to yell at him. And I'm not the peer pressure, like, you have to drink person. But he was all like, oh, I drank whiskey last night. And I'm not into it. And I was like, it's our tradition. We have to have a drink <laughs> together. So what are you drinking, Ryan? I'm having a, I'm having a cold beer. Cold I'm beer. I'm having a cold beer. What's your a brand? Cold, it's Miller Lite. Mm. Miller mm-hmm. Lite. Miller Lite. That's generally what I drink. Girl, but... Yeah, I mean, that's that doesn't surprise me. What, what's that supposed to mean? What is there? Is there a stigma? I'm not saying there's a stigma. I'm just saying that there are Bud Light people and there are Miller Lite people. Oh, you think you're cooler than me or higher uh, class? No, I don't. Th- no, these are both light beers, but just, you know, Bud Light yeah. is... You know. Yeah, keep going. What do you have to say? It's the equivalent of driving a Toyota Camry, okay? Oof. No. You know? Apologies to everyone who drives a Toyota Camry. Jeez. I'm not saying, no, the Camry Mr. is the most- pretentious the Camry, over here. The Camry is the most, has been the most popular sold vehicle for the last 20 years in a row. It's a very popular vehicle for a good reason. It's a good, reliable vehicle. However, sure. it just, it has no flash. It has no flash. I'm not gotcha. saying Miller Lite has much flash, but it's, it's you know- Oh, I just noticed you have one more foot you can put in your mouth if you want to. Put your oh, other have, foot in your mouth. Yeah. No, I got that. I'm saving that for later. Well, I'm having a very nice, because it just feels like tis the season. I don't know why. Like, I felt fancy tonight, even though I'm wearing a Mickey Mouse sweatshirt with snowflakes on it. Um, I'm having an extra dirty martini. What does looks, extra dirty mean? It means extra olive juice in it. Oh, I do love olive juice. Oh, me too. I could, I could drink it straight out of the olive jar. Are you so, an olive person? I am a major olive person. I, I love olives. Since I was so, a kid. Yeah, so I love the olive bars at like the fancy grocery stores. I love those. Are you now, a? V- oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
I was going to ask is I think there's there's an, there's an olive sp- conspiracy like that mar- that married couples generally don't like share the same olive tendency. So like Caroline hates olives. Does so does, does Jeffrey? Does Jeffrey pod- hates pickles. I love pickles. Love pickles. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, it's true. But which is great because I get all the olives off of all of our like Greek food, and I get all the pickles off of anything else, which is fantastic. That's a win. That's a win-win right there. I'm good with it. I'm totally that's a, that's good with a it. double win. The best thing is I don't know if the, I think this might be a southern thing, but do you? Which you would you would get, but I don't know if the rest of the audience would. Did you ever have chicken biscuit crackers? Yeah, yeah, I did. My grandma, my nanny loved those. It's a delicacy. Literally a hidden delicacy to take a chicken biscuit cracker and put an olive on it. You will go into sodium overload and you will swell, but it is so good. I won't be able to take my wedding ring off. Literally, you'll swell, but it's the best thing ever, so... Here's your tip for the day. I'm not eating it. I'm going to have to try this out, but I still think that's going to be a very, a lot. It, it's a lot. Like, chicken like biscuit I, I'd, crackers and olives. It's so good. I promise. Listen, one more question, then we'll get into it. Are you a vodka martini? Are you a martini person at all, or do you not like them? I, I think I've had, I can count on the, my hands the number of times I've had a martini. Um, oh, okay. I love I was, James Bond. I'm, I, I'm, I'm a dark liquor man. I do like Bloody Mary's. Oh, same. So I'm good. I, that's another Bloody thing too. Mary if you person. like olives, pickles, whatever, then you like Bloody Marys. If you don't, then you won't. I, I, I think, think I think Bloody Marys are an amazing beverage. And I, I went through a phase in college where I was drinking Bloody Marys like at night. Like nighttime. Yeah, Bloody I could Marys. do that. Totally. Um, nighttime Marys. Yep. I love it. I was gonna ask if you were a vodka martini person or a gin martini person. I'm I'm an I'm anti gin. I think gin is disgusting. See, I agree on its own, but in a martini, it makes it better. Like, Beef Eater makes a better martini. But I'm a gin, vodka girl. Gin, gin is bad. Interesting. Hot take. Okay. I don't I don't know why we would... Let's flavor... Let's just flavor grain alcohol like with, ju, with ju, juniper berries. No. Yeah, I get that. I get that. It's Yeah, but it does make a good martini. I know some it. people who are like, they could chug gin. They just love gin that much. And Jeffrey I'm like, does. He, I, he I drinks it on the rocks. It's so, I mean, why would I, ugh, it tastes like a, like a, ugh. It's just like yeah, it tastes herbaceous. Like, do you know what it tastes like on its own? It tastes like you, and like I said, I like it sometimes, but it tastes like you took like floral, like yeah. perfume, and yeah. you mixed it in with something. It's just like a little funky, like not how it's supposed to be. It's not just a little funky. It's very funky. Mm, Beef eater's good. Anyway, I don't know how we can tie this to our topic today, but... Well, we can because you know who really likes gin? The English. Who? In fact, ah. Beef Eater Gin is uh, an English uh, gin. Um, and the English were one of the four countries that after the end of the Second World War had a uh, zone of uh, influence or a sphere of influence in the city of Berlin, which is the focus of today's episode fantastic tie-in i mean impeccable thank you well i'm excited Uh, to learn because i actually uh, don't know a lot about this topic so i'm stoked teach me all the things well it's not it's not really one of the more it's not an in-depth there's a lot of detail that we could go into but of course you know we don't it's not this is not that podcast this is not the uh this is not um one of the other podcasts where they go into every little little detail um this is a this is a podcast where we we you know we 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 give history to the people who want to hear the who want to hear the history, but maybe who don't want to spend a thousand years learning about it. So, sure, we got to do a little backstory here before we start talking about uh, the Berlin Crisis, which is uh, was probably John F. Kennedy's uh, first, the second, one, one of the most, one of the more major so, uh, Cold War conflicts that he dealt with during his time uh, in the first year of his presidency. 
And so before we get into the Berlin crisis of 1961, we have to have a prelude. Prelude. You always got to do it. I got to pause. You got to do it. You got to have the prelude every time. And we got to talk about this thing called Potsdam. Okay. Now, I didn't curse there. Potsdam. You've talked um, about this before, right? I have a little okay. bit. Okay, um, I thought and so. And then there's, there's, there's Potsdam and the Yalta Conference. These two conferences, these really, at the end of the Second World War between, not the end, but right before the end, between Joseph Stalin, Winston Churchill, and the soon-to-be-dead Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And then the second one um, was, between, was with Truman. And this is where these allied leaders got together, and they basically were like, listen, we're going to win the war. Germany will be defeated. Hitler is running scared. How are we going to divide up the the post-World War world? Okay? And uh, their basic discussion about this country of Germany was that they would divide the country of Germany in twain. It's a great word, by the way, twain. Mm. And they would also divide Berlin in twain, creating two sides, a communist east and a capitalist west. The East would be controlled by the Soviet bloc, the Soviet Union, and the Warsaw Pact. And the West would be controlled by a triumvirate triumvirate of allies, the French, the British, and the Americans. And so by 1961, what you have is a situation where Berlin is divided into, East and West Berlin, and Germany is divided into. But the thing about it is, is that Berlin is actually situated um, some 200 miles inside of communist East Germany. So it's 200 miles from the border between East Germany and West Germany, but it is divided. And so it means that there is this little Western enclave, this little allied enclave in communist Germany. Yeah, communist Germany, which is also controlled by the Soviet Union. And also, interestingly enough, the people of West Germany had a much higher standard of living than those in East Germany did as well. And that same economic disparity happens in the city of Berlin. I think I've exclaimed before my, my, my not love per se of capitalism, but my appreciation for it. And nowhere in the world and in any time was there any greater example of why people did not want to live under communism than when it came to East and West Germany slash Berlin. So much hey, so that by- the capitalism thing, by the way. That's Ryan's opinion. That is my opinion. Or wait, I think you're just going to put in the already that you already got a clip. I will, but I'm going to leave that. I don't have to sing it. It's great. I don't have to sing it. (laughs) It's gold every time. That is my opinion. Uh, By by 1961, four million people have either fled from East Berlin to West Berlin to try to live to, to to get a better life, or fled from East Germany to West Germany. Because again, standard of living was much lower in East Germany. And to this day, interestingly enough, if you go to, to, to Berlin, I've never been to Berlin or haven't been to Berlin yet, but if you look at architecture and color and lamp posts uh, and light lighting systems in East and West Germany, you can still tell the difference when you look at a satellite, satellite image. Because to this day, the electrical like, like infrastructure and the like, buildings of East Berlin are inferior to those of West Berlin to this wow. day. And the color dynamics are totally different. That's um, nuts. It's crazy. And so East Germany was losing workers and economic potential. And so this led to a sort of a, a, a building or mounting tension betwixt the West and the East, you see. And the leader of Soviet Russia at the time, Nikita Khrushchev, was particularly worried about this growing imbalance between the two sides of Germany. That is how 
we find ourselves in June of 1961 when John Kennedy is traveling by plane to Vienna for a summit with the Soviet hierarchy. Now, that is, the, that is, that is where we are. Do you have any questions up to this point? Me? Madam? Yeah. I think I'm good. I'm, I'm trucking right along. You're trucking right along? Yep. Trying to make your way? Making my way. Making so my this- way downtown. <laughs> Walking fast, faces passing. I'm homebound. homebound. <laughs> I need you. So um, good. Still a bop. This is supposed to... <laughs> This is supposed to be a trust-building exercise betwixt the Kremlin and White House. The Kremlin is the, uh, the building in, in Moscow that is the, sort of the seat of power of Russia. Unfortunately, it did the opposite. Khrushchev was so upset that he threatened to cut off West Berlin from the rest of the world. He basically threatened to say, West Berlin is no longer accessible to anyone. You do, it's an island. Um, this, had been ha- this had happened kind of as the same way earlier back in the 19, in, in the Berlin airlift, you might remember, in the 1940s after the end of World War II. And so uh, on July 25th, Kennedy delivered an address to America about the potential for a need to defend American and allied interests in Germany. And this is that speech that you and I were talking about before the episode began. Yeah, so if you I'll put insert it, a clip uh, you right, here. right here. Seven weeks ago tonight, I return from Europe to report on my meeting with Premier Khrushchev and the others. His grim warnings about the future of the world, his aid memoir on Berlin, the subsequent speeches and threats which he and his agents have launched, and the increase in the Soviet military budget that he has announced have all prompted a series of decisions by the administration and a series of consultations with the members of the NATO organization. In Berlin, as you recall, he intends to bring to an end, through a stroke of the pen, first, our legal rights to be in West Berlin, and secondly, our ability to make good on our commitments to two million people of that city. That we cannot permit. We are clear about what must be done and we intend to do it. I want to talk frankly with you tonight about the first steps that we shall take. These actions will require sacrifice on the part of many of our citizens. More will be required in the future. They will require from all of us courage and perseverance in the years to come. But if we and our allies act out of strength and unity of purpose, with calm determination and steady nerves, using restraint in our words as well as our weapons, I am hopeful that both peace and freedom will be sustained. So by August of 1961, again, this is not the first time, right, that, you know, the United States and, and has, has, under Kennedy, has been in, engaging in international affairs, right? We've talked about the Bay of Pigs um, that had happened uh, just a little while earlier. Basically, tensions continued to, you know, escalate, um, fearing some, some fearing that it would turn into all-out war. But it didn't, because on in August of 1961, one bright, dark German morning, uh, the sound of machinery and the sound of bulldozers and workmen 
began to fill the air of the streets of Berlin. And what the people of West Germany woke up to was the beginning of what would be known as the Berlin Wall. You all probably know about the Berlin Wall, otherwise sometimes referred to as the Iron Curtain. By the end of that day, a barbed wire fence had been erected separating allied West Berlin and communist East Berlin. In fact, as we're talking about, all of this planning had gone on, had been going on for quite some time. In fact, East German hierarchy of communists were really very... Uh, they had been planning for this since even before the, the Vienna summit, before tensions had escalated. They had, been, they had been stockpiling raw materials. In fact, it was under the first secretary of the Socialist Unity Party, a guy named Walter Ubricht. And so they spread out all these purchases of raw material, including, and I thought this was super interesting, they bought enough barbed wire to completely surround the entirety of West Berlin. Do you want to know how many miles of barbed wire they bought? Miles, not feet. 97 miles of barbed wire. Good gracious. So they bought 97 miles of barbed wire. Uh, and uh, one day in August, after a garden party, apparently they had a little garden party and they had tea and whatever, uh, Ulbricht signed the order and began work. And this immediately caused Willie Brandt, who was very famously the mayor of West Berlin for a very long time, to get really upset. And he calls Kennedy and he says, hey, you've got to do something about this. You've got to send troops. You've got to send something. And Kennedy had only been president for six months, seven months. And he was like, no, we're not going to do that. What he did do is he made the right decision because he called upon his uh, faithful servant, Lyndon Baines Johnson, and another guy by the name of Lucius Clay. And they were sent to Berlin to essentially calm the, the Berliners, uh, the West Berliners, and say, hey, listen, you know, we are, we're here for you, just not in person. Although they did send 1,500 American soldiers at, in their place. And also, afterwards... Kennedy did mobilize 148,000 National Guardsmen and soldiers as well, and sent over, I think, 250-some-odd planes, from what I remember reading, uh, mobilized a, a particularly large portion of, this, of, of the Air Corps. Over the course of the next couple of months, between August and October, there was some back and forth. There were some incidences where American troops and Soviet troops, uh, Soviet tanks, were like sort of like encroaching on the land at the border wall. And again, uh, just to give you guys an understanding of the of the Berlin Wall, it wasn't a single straight, like just a big brick wall. It was one wall on the on the west side, one wall on the east side, with a big like hundred hundred yard area of no man's land in the middle, with like mm -hmm. searchlights and barbed wire and stuff and, and landmines. While they were building the 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 wall, some two hundred while well, as they were building, and that first day that they were putting up barbed wire, some two hundred and sixty people died trying to get from the east side to the west side. That's um, so terrible. It is. Well, I mean, people wanted to get out of, you know, not a lot. No, people didn't want to live in East Berlin. You know, right. um, it was so bad that the afterwards, of course, there are stories of them, of people building tunnels underneath it and, and, and all sorts of, and so, trying to uh, get over it in hot air balloons and things like that. I mean, there's some fantastic stories about the Berlin Wall, but nothing, nothing actually ended up starting a war. They did, they didn't come close, but uh, tensions eventually did deescalate. Um, although, interestingly enough, and I found this out, if you want to know how important this area of the, the world was at the time the official exchange point between the east and west side like one of the ma the major checkpoint on the east side and the west side the guardsmen in the booth each one had almost a direct line to either the white house or the kremlin wow which at the time was considerably of course you know they, they it was old school you know i mean they had the, the mm -hmm. phone line so like each guardsman had the ability to call like the senior commanders of the like armed forces for both countries 
And then those would connect directly to the White House. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That was considered like it was a point of interest for uh, for the entire like for the entirety of the Cold War um, was that particular area because there was always some concern that there would be a you know military action happen there. Mm-hmm. Kennedy did say of the wall at the time, "It is not a very nice solution, but it's a hell of a lot better than war." And that seems to be you know the sentiment I think a lot of people the the Berlin Wall is not a nice solution necessarily, but it's a hell of a lot better than war. Kennedy was uh, was again was approached by Willie Brandt several times to you know to take some kind of action. He was pushed upon by the by the more war hockey members of the of Congress and the and the United States to do something. In fact, there was at one point some idea from military generals in the United States Army that they could just as the Soviets were building parts of the wall, they could just destroy other parts of it and just cause the Soviets to quit. But Kennedy felt that that was probably not the right approach. And, and again, he feared war. He, and, and Nikita Khrushchev was, was hell-bent on showing strength as the new premier of the Soviet Union. And so the, the biggest thing that came out of the Berlin crisis was that both countries, the USSR and, and the Kennedy administration, or the, the United States, both began to test nuclear weapons again, which there had been a had been a, a hiatus on that. And after the Berlin crisis, that really re- reignited some Cold War tensions that had sort of gone dormant in the late 1950s. And and that was sort of it. And that's what what happened. Two years later, in 1963, Kennedy would famously return and speak to the people of Berlin. In fact, it was one of the most celebrated, uh, you know, political tours, political uh, political journeys, political ventures, probably in the in American history. And it is where he delivered his very famous line, which I'm sure you will put in right here. And there are even a few who say that it's true that communism is an evil system, but it permits us to make economic progress. Lass sie nach Berlin in common. Let them come to Berlin. All, all free men, wherever they may live, are citizens of Berlin. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Berliner. And then uh, you know, that that's sort of it. I mean, that's that's the story as it as it lasts. There's certainly much more to it, um, and we could certainly dig into some of the finer points of the Berlin Wall. But you know, this was Kennedy's second big test, probably second big test behind but, but after Bay of Pigs as a as a negotiator. And you know, it depends perception wise, like historically speaking, the Berlin Wall is probably one of the most fascinating things. I think people really tend to to focus on it because it's such a it was such a physical symbol of the difference between communism and capitalism. And, you know, the West. In the, in the East. But uh, at the end of the day, yeah, I think I like to defer to Kennedy's quote about it. It was not a very nice solution, but it was necessary for East Germany. East Germany and, and the Soviets very much felt it was necessary because they were losing, you know, millions of, of citizens crossing the border. And uh, they, they didn't want that to happen. Anymore. They built a wall. Uh, and it was a hell of a lot better than war, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. And thank you so much for bringing that today. I just learned so much about that. I always knew about this. Of course, I've studied basically every facet of Kennedy possible, but in increments. And I feel like I learned a lot about the buildup of that famous speech. So thank you so much for that. I think, and I think there's definitely more to be discussed here. Sure. I think, and I, think I would love to even go farther into when it was torn down during Reagan's yeah. administration, things like that. So I think there's a lot more, there's a lot more in the day to day. I'm sure that there are some incredible stories from what was going on inside the White House between August and October. 
Um, but I felt that it was a good idea to just go over the the main the main points of the crisis. And maybe we can, I think with a lot of our episodes, there's a lot of potential to go back and, and look at more in-depth. Sure. Um, I don't plan on stopping anytime soon, so we got plenty of time. (laughs) (laughs) And now I've got some questions for you. You got some questions for me? Yes, I put out a QA and a box and got some responses. Therefore, in answer to your question. A couple of them are from your wife. She asked... Did you remember to get onions and heavy cream? This was yesterday. I did. I made lasagna soup for dinner last night, and so I okay. had to get onions and heavy cream. I'm going to be honest. That sounds nasty. Why? Do you lasagna like lasagna? soup? Do you like lasagna? Yeah, in like true form. Okay. Do you like, do you like soup? Yeah, in true form. Okay. Essentially, you just make a loose tomato sauce with like some kind of protein and then you put your choice of noodle in it and then you finish it with um, ricotta cheese at the now you don't you don't put the ricotta cheese in until the very like when you put it in the bowl it's very good you're gonna have to make it for me because i don't know how i feel about that but i'm open to i'm open to it we'll try it we'll try it we'll try (laughs) she also asked when you guys are gonna put up the outside christmas lights it is time prior uh, no the outside christmas lights are they not happening this year uh, I mean, we can. She's just gonna have to take the initiative. She's gonna have to take the initiative. Get your ass out there on a ladder. I, I no. Yay. I. <laughs> we'll do it on Sunday. I'm I'm here by yes, promising you will. that we'll do it and on Sunday. And I expect Sunday. photographic proof to post on my feed so people know your lights are done. Good lord. All right, back to the questions. This is an interesting one, and you can't state your very obvious answer. Okay. Uh, okay. We know his favorite president. But who's his least favorite president? There's so many. There's so many bad ones. I think that um, John Quincy Adams was pretty friggin' useless. Um, okay. I mean, what's your you reasoning know, for that? I don't know. He had no backbone, right? He couldn't effectively lead the nation, right? And, and to be fair, any president that was going to follow Washington was going to have a difficulty. Mm-hmm. And you could see this, of course, in the in the epic Disney musical, not musical, but not. I was Disney gonna musical, say, but, insert clip, John you know, Adams. John Adams. I know, I know him. him. <laughs> John Adams. <laughs> I know him. That can't be. That's that. Little guy who spoke to me all those years ago. What was it, 85? That poor man, they're going to eat him alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, Walter. sorry, not John. Not, no, no, no. I, I didn't mean to say it's John Adams, not John Yeah, not Quincy. Quincy. It's a different not one. Quincy. I got what you I'm meant. sorry. Yeah, two different. Oh, we get it. Okay, well, actually, both the Adams, honestly. Screw him and screw his dad. Here's why. John Adams was a, a useless president, although, again, you know, good for him for following Washington. That's the Hamilton John reference. Adams. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. Uh, I love, uh, who's the guy who plays him? Jonathan Groff. Jonathan Groff. That's yeah. his whole thing in, in the Hamilton is my favorite part. And John Quincy Adams, are, interestingly enough, is the only president to not be elected because of, by, by, popular, by popular vote of the Electoral College. There was an electoral vote tie in the election of 1824. And do you know what happens whenever there's an electoral vote tie? The House of Representatives basically like votes on who becomes the president and they voted for him. And so honestly, what a knob. But yeah, John Quincy <laughs> Adams and his dad 
screw both of them. Wow. I'm not I'm not a super fan. The, no, I mean like the obvious answers are the ones like who were who were useless like James Buchanan could have done more to prevent the civil war but he didn't. He 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 basically like sat there for a year and was just like I can't wait till the next guy comes in here so I don't have to deal with this. Yeah. That is that is useless. Who, oh. Herbert Hoover. Hoover's whole laissez-faire approach to the the Great Depression kind of sucks. I don't like that. I didn't like that. I think he's a I think he he goes down in history as being one of the worst presidents. I think uh, everyone would agree with that. I, w- I would agree. I would I would hope they would. But what's your I, you like? Know, oh, t- you know, what's your number one? You got to give me one. Like, what is your least least favorite? That was a um, question. I, you was know, it John Adams. No, you stick to that. No, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, um, I'm gonna say Woodrow Wilson, and okay. the reason I'm gonna say Woodrow Wilson was because he was just such a virulent racist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the fact is the matter because of because of Woodrow Wilson and his racism, the first movie ever shown in the White House was The Birth of a Nation. Now, that's I, I don't like him a lot. I'm, if you're, it depends on the perception. Like as a human being, uh, Woodrow Wilson sucked. As a yeah. president, he was fine. He was fine, president. He established the Federal Reserve for God's sake. I mean, as far as like the individual Woodrow Wilson, because he was who he was. I'm going to say as far as individual Woodrow Wilson and as far as policies. I'm going to say, as far as policies are concerned, it's a hard question. This is a real challenge for you. I love this question. Why is this hard for me? Um, if we're looking at hindsight, historical hindsight, yeah, it's going to have to be Woodrow Wilson as an individual for being an absolute POS, and then, yeah, Herbert Hoover for, being, for, for dealing with the Great Depression the way that he did. There it is. Okay, next question. If you could meet one Kennedy, living or dead, who would it be? Ooh, I would want to meet. I'm gonna say this. This is uh, this is gonna be an interesting statement. I would want to meet probably Jackie. Really? Uh, I thought you yeah. would have said Bobby. No, I, I know. I I think Jackie was was pretty was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I think that's all I've got. All right, Ryan. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Once again, I'm sure you'll be back next month or the next or whenever if you will do it. That would be yeah, amazing. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have, I actually have a really, I have one that I want to do and I want to do it on the history of Wayfair sunglasses or like Wayfarers. I don't know why, you know, the sunglasses, the very popular yeah. Ray-Ban sunglasses. That, that, and you that, want to uh, dive into that history? I don't know why. I love sunglasses. I'm, I'm a big sunglasses it. fan. I thought yeah. it might be a nice, fun one. We normally do pretty academic stuff, but like, you know, doing something with about sunglasses, you know? Hell yeah. January. Here it comes. Well, follow me on Instagram at Kennedy Dynasty. Check out the link in the description of this episode for my merch shop. Last minute Christmas shopping. Get it done for you because you deserve it or for any Kennedy fans in your life. And if you like the episode and you like the podcast, please rate it five stars and write a positive written review. And please make sure that you are subscribed. That's all I got. And I'll talk to you guys next week. And vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, keep America strong. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling along. Vote for Kennedy. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.